Hello captives and captive friends and welcome to episode 68 of the Global Captive Podcast supported by Legacy Specialists R&Q and hosted by me Richard Kutcher. We have a brilliant lineup for you in this episode. Two new names for listeners to hear from and both of quite fresh perspectives and experiences of the captive world I think as well. Our captive owner interview will be along shortly and I was very excited to sit down with Braden York, risk and insurance manager at Aurora Cannabis, a Canada headquartered integrated cannabis company already well versed in the utilization of captive insurance. But our guest co-host for GCP 68 is CEO of a company or, or a venture as it was originally that I have been desperate to talk to ever since the pilot launch of InsureWave in 2018 alongside shipping giant Maersk. Developments in the insurtech world has always intrigued me, particularly I think because there is a real disconnect problem between captive insurance and insurtech. There is rich ground to be explored that could really advance the business model and value of captives quite considerably. InsureWave has been through quite the evolution since that initial launch four years ago, originally marketed as the world's first blockchain platform for marine insurance. So I'm delighted that we have their CEO, David Power, onto the Global Captive Podcast to bring us up to date what difference they are already making to Maersk and others on their insurance programs and why captives are of particular interest to them. So David, welcome to the Global Captive Podcast. Hi Richard, yeah, it's great to be here. Thanks yeah. for uh, thanks for finding time to come in, and good to have you here in person. Yeah, it's great to be in uh, in the Insurewave HQ uh, here, uh, not too far from London Bridge. So, I think in the first half we'll focus very much on Insurewave, its journey over the past four years, and and the value prop as you see it. And in the second, we'll discuss your observations of the captive and commercial insurance market more generally, and where technology can perhaps play a greater role. Can you start then, David, by telling us a bit about your own background and, and how you came to be involved with InsureWave? My background, going all the way back to, to the early days, has been, has been in technology. I was in Anderson Consulting before it became Accenture and worked a lot with the e-commerce side of their business and the banking in the early days as it was moving into, into more electronic banking and then left and formed uh, a startup in 2004 which the insurance sector was was a very large client of it that startup uh, called distinct was focused on uh, a platform as a service for analytics which in in those days was relatively new it it, it was pre-cloud so it was uh you know it didn't benefit from a lot of the great te- technology that's around today and it, yeah, I, I grew that company over over a, an eight-year period and, and, and exited that. Then I got involved in a number of different venture roles and uh, some of them interventionist venture roles. Probably the most um, uh, public one being being Wonga, the, the, the credit tech business, yeah. where I worked with, with some of the venture capital group and the, the chairman at the time for a couple of years on, on that turnaround. And then... It was continuing with different portfolio activities and I got um, introduced to InsureWave, which I, I won't make that part of the introduction. I, I'll cover that a little bit later. But yeah, my background has always been technology-centric, venture-backed technology and you know, really being able to, not always with success, but you know, technology is about 
really been able to work well with failure and been able to evolve as, as, as effectively as possible. And I, I brought all that background into getting involved in, with InsureWave in the early days. Fantastic. So as I mentioned in the intro, David, InsureWave has changed quite considerably since its launch in 2018. I think the majority of our listeners will be new to the InsureWave story. So can you tell us a bit about its genesis and its first iteration? Sure. The genesis of, of InsureWave was, was inside Ernst & Young, and it was a, incubated very much as, as a project and a company, actually, in, inside EY, where at the time they, they had invested significantly in, in blockchain initiatives. They had a number of partners in blockchain initiatives, and some of their specialty insurance expert consultants saw an opportunity in, uh, in marine insurance specifically and particularly around the, the multi-party exchange of the administration associated with, with war and, and with the overhead that comes with authorization, acceptance and all the document movement. And they, they, they saw blockchain as an opportunity for that. They leveraged their, their client list and, and engaged with, with Maersk to, to be a, an early adopter and, and a big supporter in terms of their, their, their energy in, in designing that platform. And it started out on that basis. The real focus at that time, as is the case with an early technology like blockchain, was to really get the blockchain working. And that, in my experience, isn't always the, the best way to you know, build a good minimum viable product for a marketplace because you really want to be giving clients benefits as, as, as quickly as you can. I was brought in just to switch feed a little bit from its foundation. I was brought in as an advisor to to look at the technology, to look at its um, the company construct, and to really work with EY to say, right, how do we invest and in, yeah, potentially pivot this into a solution that we believe can move a little bit quicker, is maybe not as burdened as it was at the time with the technology weight that blockchain brought with it, and really get behind it because we were seeing the, uh, the early uh, saplings develop of a lot of opportunity for the market. So, that really draws a line of the first chapter of, of the InsureWave existence, which was a blockchain platform inside EY. And if from that point, when I get involved, it kind of moved into a new chapter. So I think it's ironic, actually, what you say there about the blockchain experience on this particular platform, because I think at the time there were quite a few other pilot programs using blockchain to run multinational programs. Uh, some of them were public, some of them were, were more, more private at the time. And at the time, all the noise was blockchain makes things easier, it makes things more transparent, everyone can have a say in real time. Sounds like actually it, it slowed you down. So why, have you, why did you ultimately move away from blockchain? And, and more importantly, what does a platform look like today? For, for me, t technology should be part of contributing to the speed at which you're, you're actually satisfying a customer pain. And if your technology becomes an impediment to the speed at which you do that, then you're on the wrong technology. It's as simple as that. So kind of a cultural and philosophical change that, that I brought to InsureWave was if we're going to have a shared platform, which the platform is, we have to be able to make changes easily we have to make them immediate we want to release features every day blockchain it's difficult to do that in a blockchain environment uh, we of course as you know have a widespread of clients from significant number of insurance buyers all the way down to even retrocessionaires and captives uh, in in the mix so to maintain a technology stack that makes it easy for them to onboard easy for them to authorize easy for them to participate 
was really fundamental to InsureWave having any future. So we went and architected a solution that was very much on a, in ways, a standard cloud stack, providing software as a service to, to our uh, client footprint. And that allowed us to really make very easy changes, allow them to make changes to documents, allow them to authorize changes, and, and ultimately satisfy the most fundamental principle of what we're here for, which is we're here to remove pains for our clients and we're here to remove them as quickly as possible. And that's a real important tenet to what we're about. So the technology had to back that up. So you say you're, you're here to remove pains from, from clients. Let's get a bit, get a bit more detail on that. And this is your chance for the kind of the, the pitch question, I guess, of the, of the whole interview. Clients have a lot of pains. Insurance buyers, as you and I have discussed with insurance buyers quite a lot over the last six months, have a lot of different pains. What are the pains that you're trying to ease? And then what's the ultimate value you're trying to give to the insurance buyers? In, in a word, the, the, the pain that we're trying to ease or the pain we're trying to eliminate is the pain of time. And in particular, time on the wrong work. What we find is, and in particular in the complex classes, the insurance managers and the brokers and the insurers are all emburdened with a huge amount of administration and that leads to inaccuracy which leads to a further loop of administration and chasing and, and real real pain to, to the job. And, and in many cases these jobs are being done, and particularly if you if you if we focus on the insurance manager inside a an assured business, these are people that have a lot of expertise and knowledge and really they're employed to to bring their expertise to bear but they are unburdened by administration so insurewave is designed from the client into the insurance ecosystem to give the, the client a set of tools to easily eliminate in many cases their administration but that elimination is enabled by them being on a shared platform with their brokers and with their insurers and with their reinsurers and with their captive and with their retrocessionaires so that there isn't this constant exchange of information or authorization and everybody has one view of the truth everybody has one view of the data there's analytics modules on the platform of course so you can do some of the higher end activity but in essence we exist to eliminate the burden of poorly spent time so that time can be spent more richly in terms of the captives you've mentioned them a few times there do captives have a, a particular special role in this is it is it more that the kind of clients you're targeting have captives or are captives particularly aided by the platform is or is the captive just viewed as one of the numerous insurance partners of, of the buyer we, we don't we don't see the a captive as a specific persona let's say of the platform the, the way we look at the platform usage is there's an insurance buyer or an insured and again we focus on what they need and and as you know well Richard there's a there's quite a spectrum of the larger ones to the smaller ones and and of course the complexity itself can be driven by volume and by scale Maersk is a great example um, they have significant complexity because um, of their scale their global reach the complexity of their of their risks and they have a self-managed captive but the persona that we look at is that insurance manager inside an insured or an insurance buyer and what we what we always engage our clients on are those administrative pain points, but also the analytical pain points. So, what we want to really help them with, and that can be sometimes helping their captive in making sure the captive has got all the information about the assets um, that it might be carrying. Uh, we connect all the assets in a digital way to uh, to whatever insurance contracts have been managed. 
Sometimes they are, of course, inside a, ca um, a captive. Um, sometimes they're out in, in markets and in Lloyds and company markets. So really, we don't um, discern between them as a different solution set per se. But we just we do want to understand more whether what InsureWave does today can it do more for the captives. And as you know, we've been talking more and more to people in the captive space and captive managers to understand if there's anything unique that um, we can add to the platform that, that can help them. And that's early days, but what we see right now is a whole bunch of what we do anyway, naturally, um, it gives them a whole bunch of value today. Okay, well, in the second half, David, we'll get a bit more into that uh, discussion in particular, and I'll, we'll discuss observations of, of the captive and commercial market a bit more broadly and where InsureTech could have a bigger role to play. But first, let's hear our captive owner interview for GCP68. I have been chatting to Braden York, Risk and Insurance Manager at Alberta, Canada-based Aurora Cannabis, for a little while now, and we decided the time was right to get him onto the pod. Braden goes on to discuss his and Aurora's own experience with captives, but first he tells us a bit more about the integrated cannabis company. Yeah, you bet. So obviously, before I get started, any opinions expressed are solely my own and do not express the views or opinions of my employer, which is Aurora. But Aurora itself is a licensed cannabis producer in Canada that sells cannabis to the recreational and medical markets. We do operate or the company does operate internationally selling into international markets, but it has all of its uh, growing mostly in Canada and in Europe. Braden, can you tell us a bit about your role at the company then and, and also your background uh, in insurance before you joined Aurora? Prior to joining Aurora, I was actually at Aon Risk Solutions as an insurance broker there. And I was working with pharmaceutical companies, uh, helping with you know, general liability, et cetera, just general risk management, uh, insurance placements uh, within that industry. And that involved traditional clinical trials and other types of insurance placements for pharmaceutical companies. And while I was working there, the cannabis industry was getting legalized in Canada uh, traditionally, I had actually done insurance placements under what they had is called MMAR licensing in Canada, which was actually preliminary legislation similar to what you see in the United States and actually a lot of international markets globally, where the government kind of introduces medical cannabis on a um, lower dosage or lower prescription basis and kind of a, a single authorized application status uh, versus kind of broader legislation like you see in Canada now. And they had, I had done a few uh, cannabis risk placements for that in my past. And then as cannabis was becoming legal in Canada, I decided that, you know, it was a, it was an interesting industry. And I personally uh, had seen the effects of cannabis for medical use, um, used to replace pain drugs like opioids, etc., and knew that there was huge opportunity here for the industry as it became legalized. And so I decided to apply at Aurora and uh, joined the company. And uh, my role within Aurora is the insurance and risk manager. So that goes all the way from just general risk management practices to insurance placements and managing the global insurance program for the company. 
Fantastic. Yeah, it's really interesting that a couple of other cannabis companies that I've come across, who a couple of them have featured on the podcast before, have been Canadian-based entities. Uh, those are the ones that seem to be the ones who have, who have managed to get kind of uh, decent insurance programs, including captives off the ground. So can you tell us a bit about then the, the captive setup that you had there at Aurora? And when did you decide to go down the kind of formalized self-insurance route? So, I mean, to give some context to your audience, the cannabis industry has probably the highest rates amongst any classification of uh, insurance, I think, globally. The most cannabis companies are paying, I'd say, five to 10 times what a regular insured would pay. So imagining, you know, insuring a traditional pharmaceutical company with very experimental drug and then coming to the cannabis space where you have, you know, a plant that's been around for hundreds, thousands of years that, you know, really doesn't have many severe adverse effects uh, for its medical use. And yet it still has crazy pricing when it comes to insurance. So having been at Aon, I did see and and interact with clients who had captives. And I knew that there was an opportunity there to, you know, obviously save on insurance premiums and and initiate a self-funding strategy for many different ways or utilizations. And so it's kind of twofold the way I approached it. And one is setting up a traditional captive, which we actually domiciled in British Columbia, Canada. Uh, It's one of the only places in Canada that has captive legislation. And we chose that just because the regulator was, you know, quite open to it. Our, Our feasibility study had showed that it would be a proper place to domicile our captive. One of the markets that we generally would have went to was Barbados, but unfortunately cannabis isn't legal there. So we actually couldn't even use our our place of captive in that um, country. Mm. Uh, Thankfully, Bermuda though uh, does have a little bit of a legislation kind of open-mindedness around cannabis and and they were really great regulator for us to work with uh, when we were considering actually setting up a segregated cell. And so we've initiated both strategies with a captive and a segregated cell to supplement our insurance programs in different ways. And that's both for our property and casualty insurance, as well as our directors and officers liability insurance. Yeah, just to clarify that Bermuda point as well, we talked about this with uh, with Marsh, with Mike Parrish from Marsh and uh, DNA Genetics when we had them on the podcast last year. I think what the Bermuda statute says or the Bermuda regulatory approach is, is that they're happy for uh, insurance companies in Bermuda to insure cannabis where it is federally legal. Correct. So it, obviously a Canadian business, as you've mentioned, uh, cannabis, uh, use, certain uses of cannabis is, is federally legal. Um, so Bermuda permits that. It wouldn't allow uh, a US business or US risks to be insured related to the cannabis for a Bermuda captive because it isn't legal at the federal level, despite obviously some states having legislation legalizing it. So I think that, that's where Bermuda is particularly um, flexible or open-minded uh, to, a, to a certain degree. So yeah, really interesting. You've gone down the route of the single parent captive in British Columbia. I'm pretty sure, Braden, we've, we've never had a, a British Columbia captive on the pod before, so that's a first. <laughs> and obviously the cell in Bermuda. So I think you touched on it a little bit there, but what was the ultimate rationale for forming a captive? And, and how are they supporting you on the ultimate risk financing objectives? I guess for your audience and, and just to help kind of give context, I mean, I would encourage people to reach out to me if they do want to investigate this further. But the the major thing is pricing. So, I mean, I'll, I'll say even aside from the cannabis industry, the biggest line for most companies is probably their DNO insurance premiums. Yeah. 
you know, let's use, I'll just talk about a generic industry. I was talking to another risk manager who uh, works in the manufacturing industry. And so they're paying, say, $5 million a year for DNO premiums. Well, part of the rationale is just understanding what the potential claim situations can be and what potential cost benefits you can get by deploying these strategies. So if you use the analysis from a lot of the publicly available information, say as NARA Economic Consulting or Cornerstone Research, you can kind of get a better context on what the actual potential claim situations might be. One of the interesting insights that I kind of developed over time was what the actual average and median claim settlements were for DNO risks. And so when you look at the actual statistics behind these settlements, you'll notice that in most cases, the median settlement is below $15 million. And so if you look at a manufacturing company who's paying $5 million a year for DNO premiums with a, say, $10 million deductible, well, before they get any coverage, they're $15 million committed already in year one because $5 million premium plus a $10 million deductible. Yeah. So if you then start putting that capital into a structure such as a captive or a segregated cell, well, by year two, three, four, you're more than capitalized for your median settlement and in, in likely over your average settlement value as well. So when you start doing those types of numbers and, and you forecast it out, I mean, I think the NARA Economic Consulting also shows that the average DNO class settlement is over three years. So 50 some percent are over three years. I think I've seen KPMG studies that say some of these class actions can settle after eight to 10 years. So yeah, when you consider that and you consider, okay, well, paying $5 million a year or initiating these structures where I can seek reinsurance solutions, I can work with, you know, creative alternative uh, strategies such as structured reinsurance, et cetera, you can actually see the financial benefit of it. And that's when we started going down this route. And of course, we engaged our service providers to then do the feasibility study. We forecasted out these loss situations with actuaries. And then the math just made sense. And you can save millions of dollars a year if you're paying in the millions for DNO premiums. And it just, it just makes sense. And when you show those numbers to your executive teams and your board, it, it just lines up. And so I, I do encourage risk managers, especially in larger companies, to seriously consider these structures because they work. And, and you know, our business case and feasibility study has been playing out exactly how we thought it would be. And, and we're, we're so far happy with that. Yeah, really fascinating to hear, obviously, the, the length of uh, your own research and reading that you've done. I know, that, I know that you are a big researcher. We've had conversations about that before. So it's fascinating to hear your kind of perspective on that. And DNO obviously, has been a, a huge, huge topic in the captive world for the last two or three years and, and continues to divide opinion, as, we, as we've heard on, on this podcast for the last couple of years, too. Lastly, you said that, obviously, I think the Bermuda, the Bermuda sale is, is doing some DNO. The, the, the British Columbia captive is obviously doing more maybe traditional uh, property and casualty types of lines insurance is there anything else that you'd like to be able to do uh, use the captive for either the captives for to extract more value from the strategy have you started thinking about other areas you might want to use it for yeah i i definitely think that i mean when we renew insurance now it's it's what can we place in the captive period i mean yeah. we, we look at it as the first solution to say you know can we move these coverages over does it make sense obviously there's 
uh, fronted paper requirements and et cetera as you explore these lines. So developing partners around that is important, but things like cyber insurance and liability insurance, those are all different factors that companies consider. I think for cannabis industry specifically, liability insurance is a touchy topic. There's tons of exclusions on these policies that you see specifically around health hazards that um, some of the smaller companies just generally can't afford to get away from. So obviously, as a larger companies, you have a little bit more flexibility in negotiating power with markets. But you know, when you're accepting certificates of insurance from your vendors, you start to kind of ask, well, what's the quality of the coverage that they actually have, which is, you know, kind of leads into the next structure is we've been or I've been personally looking into, you know, group captives, etc, to help establish, you know, supplemental coverages as well on setting up a third structure to help support that type of area of the where, you know, there's just no market coverage for even smaller LPs. So that's kind of uh, the, the other side of what we're looking into and uh, hopefully is another opportunity that can, you know, not just provide support for uh, larger companies, but smaller companies as well. Yeah, that, that group capture approach is certainly one I'm hearing about in all different kinds of uh, markets and sectors and, and DNO even I've heard it discussed, you know, could large corporates come together and create a DNO mutual it seems to be a big topic amongst um, businesses at the moment because of the hard market. It's hard to get off the ground. It's hard to obviously find that common ground uh, with with businesses to, to trust each other to go into that kind of arrangement. But it has been done many times before. So fascinating to see if that if that develops further, Braden. And uh, I think we certainly need to have you back onto the podcast in maybe a year or two to, to find out what, what else is new. Yeah, I'll uh, I'll definitely let you know how that one goes because I'm I'm actively working on it, and it's uh, it's about exactly what you're saying. You know, finding a middle ground. Around. I think when it comes to those structured solutions, especially around DNO coverage, um, having a strong fronting partner so that mm. all of the board members of, you know, say the individual companies that would be participating in something like that know that there is a trusted insurance provider, hopefully with a strong rated paper um, that can provide that claim administration and all of the back-end processes in an unbiased manner. I think, you know, obviously, when you do contribute to those types of uh, strategies, you, you kind of don't want another company to impact how your coverage might respond. So I think having a third party kind of operate and ensure that everybody's playing nice in the sandbox is definitely the the way to go with something like that. And the other item is just, you know, on the, the coverage front, say for different types of structures like the segregated cells that are in Bermuda. I think one of the interesting strategies that companies should look into, you know, beyond just the, the group captives is whether or not they can set up their own structures and then just have it in the higher levels of the tower. So, I mean, I would encourage companies, for example, if they're buying $25 million plus of, of coverage, maybe they use or continue to purchase $20 million in the market, but then they set up these structures, captives or, or cells and have them sit in that excess position, which is obviously farther removed, but allows them to at least save the money uh, on insurance premium and, and gets realize some of those benefits from utilizing these structures that uh, your podcast advocates for. And, and I can say, you know, as a as an avid listener, that listening to your podcast and reaching out to your guests has definitely helped us uh, in our journey. And I really appreciate that. Great. Well, I appreciate the kind words and I always like to hear you know, that it is valuable to, to people like yourself who are actually doing the job uh, rather than just talking about it like, like I do. 
<laughs> if anybody wants to reach out, uh, they can contact me on on LinkedIn, and I'm more than happy to uh, to help them out. I know I've reached out to guests of your show, and they've been more than happy to explain the details needed to actually execute on these strategies. And I've been uh, very grateful for that. So I'm happy to do the same. Paul, when captives are exploring a potential legacy transaction, whether fully offloading a captive or transferring a portfolio of business, is it important for them to know the partner they work with has a full suite of vehicles ready to support their chosen strategy? Yes, that's right, Richard. At R&Q, as a result of completing legacy transactions at the major captive domiciles over the last 13 years, we've built up a compelling portfolio of liability consolidation vehicles. We have companies in Bermuda, Cayman, Guernsey, Isle of Man, Vermont, and for EU business in Malta. This allows us to seamlessly assume legacy liabilities onto our platform without facing endless cross-border transactions. We also have two A-rated carriers, one in the US, admitted across all states, and the other in Malta, with all non-life licenses and freedom of services across the EU and a branch in the UK. This allows us to offer widespread solutions as replacement capacity or as a retrospective front or as a well-rated reinsurer to gain capital efficiency. Thank you, Paul. Well, if you want more information on RQ, then visit their friend of the podcast page on the globalcaptivepodcast.com website or follow the links in the episode show notes. Since you've come into InsureWave, David, you've obviously been meeting with a lot of people in the insurance value chain, all kinds of customers, brokers, insurers, lawyers, I expect as well, and, and, and many others. Are there complaints or, or those pain points that you mentioned about, about the marketplace the same from all sides? Is there a common theme apart from time, perhaps, or are they all struggling with different challenges? You'd be amazed how, and in particular, the majority of our conversations are with insurance buyers and with the assureds. You'd be amazed how consistent their their experience is. And I think uniquely to the classes we focus on, which are marine, aviation and energy, there is a burden uh, of administration and, and a burden of um, transparency as well. We certainly hear that the, the distance as well that insurers and reinsurers have from the, from the end client in terms of the risk understanding and the exposure information, that's a two-way, that's a two-way pain point. Again, it can be attached to the fact that data really struggles to get into the specialty lines ecosystem. And a lot of that comes from the fact that they don't, they don't really have a way, a standard way to, to, to submit that. And then as you follow it downstream, there isn't a standard way for the, you know, if the brokers are receiving it, for it to go down to the insurers, reinsurers. But then let's actually move a little bit beyond it just happening once a year. What if it has to happen, God forbid, five or six times a year, 20 times a year, 50 times a year? Then it becomes increasingly painful. So I think I think in a nutshell, if we abstract ourselves from the pain points, it really all comes down to the industry needs data. It makes decisions on data. The clients are comfortable to provide it. They just want ways to do that efficiently. And they want to know that once they provide it once, everybody has what they need and they don't want to be continually being chased for, can you give me a view this way? Can you cut it that way? I have this, you have something different. Yeah. So the sector seems to be creating this these eternal dog chasing its tail type, type processes where we believe it's eliminated by people working just with a consistent data set, which is part of what, what we try to do. But 
that without question is the most consistent pain point that we hear. So to bring it back to InsureWave, and I wasn't originally going to do this, but if a insurance buyer is on the platform yeah. and that's where all their data is going, yes. um, when they're looking to do a broker tender or have a new insurance, a new underwriter or a new uh, participator on the yeah. program, that broker or insurer can go in if they're given permission to look at all that information on that dashboard or, or how Absol- it's shown. Yeah, absolutely. So the, you know, we, we work in partnership with the brokers because we're, we're a technology company. Our job is to build the solutions to make this data exchange as efficient and valuable as possible. We're not a, we're not a placing business. We're not a risk advisory business. So we see the brokers as our partner in that process. Um, but we see ourselves as their partner in the other side of the process, which is we all want it to be as easy as possible for our clients to generate a submission or to generate an endorsement or to manage their data flow. We enable that. The brokers, when we are in a relationship with a broker and an end client, have access to all the data that the clients have. The clients have some choices on that. They can, uh, they can close off some access points, but that data then is made available for a submission. In many cases, we can actually auto-generate um, the information for a submission doesn't change the job for the broker though. They still go and find the placement, find the markets. And in particular, in the case of a Lloyd's market, you know, they have to probably talk to many markets in, in order to place certain risk. But then the value of InsureWave is once that is agreed, the data exchange by insurer or reinsurer being plugged into it again is from one source, from the client. Everybody is on the same page of it being the single source of truth. And then any changes to that data over time that the client makes, it's fed all the way through to broker, insurer, reinsurer. I think I should say as well that the I think the InsureWave platform from the demonstrations you've given me is it's a it's a bit more sexy and exciting than just something holding lots of data. I mean, you've shown me things where uh, an insurance buyer could see their assets moving around the world in real time, so they know exactly where they are. Yes. Um, I know InsureWave isn't trying to solve all of the insurance markets problems or, or challenges. So more broadly, is is technology the answer to most? of those complaints and challenges that you have heard about? It's a good point that you make. I mean, we, we, we also believe that risk management is much easier when risk is visualized <laughs> because otherwise you are looking at spreadsheets and you're looking at geocoded information, which is difficult to, to, to get your head around. So, so yes, whether it's properties, oil rigs, mobile drilling, um, or vessels, which is where we started, any assets that are up- uploaded onto the platform, we also connect them to internet information so that we're ensuring we maintain as much as possible the most accurate and timely version of information of course we've got i was going to say aircraft but you don't really track an aircraft you track you track a flight so it's yeah. a, it's a little bit of a subtlety so that's all available to the insurance manager and what we find with that is it really gives them access to being able to answer questions in their organization much much more efficiently and of course they can do some catastrophe modeling they can look at accumulation they can do the things that are naturally the exercises that you that you should do in insurance but if i bring it back to a more simple principle they can only do that if they have the time and they can only do that if they're not chasing the paper and if they're not correcting spreadsheets and and what we find is there's a richness of dialogue that gets introduced when everybody has the same data because it moves away from it being, have I got this from you type conversation into, okay, well, let's look at what we've got. Let's do, let's do the best job we can do to make sure that you're getting the, the right cover. And bizarrely, a lot of our clients aren't, their, big, their pain point isn't the price. If Let's move, yeah. on, move, in, move into that space for a moment. 
not a lot of them are out there chasing um, necessarily the best price. They want to. They would like to know that they're competitive, but really what they want is they just want to be comfortable that they're covered, comfortable that they can put their hands on their documents, on their risks, comfortable that they, all the way down to the capital, that they that the capital is comfortable that any changes are being covered, and that they just feel like they've got a well managed um, digital relationship with their providers. Then it kind of gets interesting in terms of where they go with the exposure management and the analytical part of the platform. But really everybody starts with wanting that first part sorted. So I've been trying over the past 12 months or so to become a lot more uh, plugged into and aware of developments in the broader insurtech space. And it's that's kind of how I came back across you guys again. Mm-hmm. And it's fair to say there is a, a lot of interesting innovation and, and sometimes and some exciting companies out there. But what has always stood out to me about InsureWave, perhaps in comparison to to most others, is that from the very beginning, it has been about solving a problem for the insurance customer rather than the market. And we've we've kind of gone over why why that took place and why that's been your focus from the beginning. Now, in my opinion, I think it's clear that the commercial market has been pretty slow, pretty cumbersome in embracing new technology, particularly in the large account space. I think consumer insurance has obviously made a lot of great um, progress in that regard. So is the key to making progress from insurtechs more broadly actually going to be about convincing the customer first and then getting the customer to take their brokers and their insurance partners with them? That's a big church in, in terms of the the problems that I, I, I mean, I can I can really only share my experience, which is if I was sitting inside an insurance corporation or a broker corporation, then what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to build some technology that's going to take a whole bunch of information in, try and standardize it and share it with some, some, some markets. Now, the challenge with that is the market doesn't have standards for these type of risks. I mean, there is our platform is, 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 has the Accord standards embedded within it, but broadly, they don't really mean a whole lot in terms of how the market works. So for me, from my experience outside of the insurance sector, if you just stay with the client problem, and if, you, if we come up with a way that we can solve the problem for them, because you're right, they still write the checks for everybody here, um, so that their pain is reduced. And in solving that problem, we're coming up with a way to provide data into the ecosystem, then, then there is a win-win. And what we find is, for each client, we have to make a very small um, adaptation, sometimes none, in order for that client to be ready to work with, to work with the market. But the but the most important thing is we're doing it for the guy who's writing the check, and he is interested in saying, "Yes, I want to work this way," and I I want to get there at my speed. I don't want to be waiting for a market to tell me in 15 years' time we've got a cracked. I want to know that it can get better tomorrow or six months time. So we're going to continue to focus on giving them an increasingly set of probably more specialist and analytical tools over and above where they started, which is eliminating the admin. And we'll find them self-serving a lot more. And I think that's a good thing because once they do that, then we have the opportunity to give those data flows downstream. And Let's, let's be frank, the, the broker and insurance market weren't created to move a lot of paper and manage a lot of cash. There were they, there are sectors with a lot of expertise that really that's what, what people want exposure to, but it does get clouded and almost buffeted by this 
um, administration burden between the client and 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 the specialism. So what we want to do is is eliminate that, and hopefully that brings richness to the data in the markets, which again will bring different conversations, it will bring different products, it'll get people more, innov- um, it'll give them the opportunity for innovation. We've seen we've seen a bunch of it in the marine side, and I just think that that ultimately is us being part of you know, the citizenship to the, to the ecosystem as well. If we can do that, then we will have done the right thing by the insurance sector, the brokering sector, but we'll still do it from the perspective of the client. But there is a limit, isn't there? Some insurance customers are more powerful and more influential than others. Obviously, having Maersk on site from the beginning mm-hmm. gave you a lot of influence with whoever their insurance partners were to, to get this thing yeah. moving. So is there a limit to how much impact the customer can have when, when you, obviously you're working you work with a range of customer sizes, right? Yeah, I think I think things have moved on. I mean, we're from when we replatformed, we're 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 a couple of years out now, but we we've been in and around for kind of the last three or four years. So we we've we've met we've met a pretty broad spectrum of customers. But you are right; there are those that have um, a greater share of voice in the influence. But still, at the end of the day, they 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 are still all contributing um, in their premium and fees into the sector. And what I will say about everybody that we have worked with is. They, they're all client-centric. I mean, the brokers and the insurers, when they have um, an insurance buyer or an insured saying, look, I really want to work this way, guys, and you know, here's a great solution that we can all become part of, there hasn't been a case where they don't get supported in that. Because I think, in, in a way, we're all aligned. Um, we're not all one company, but you know, if we're sitting with our broker partners, they're also on the same page as the buyers. They're saying, we don't want to be chasing the admin. We don't want to be... You know, having to rekey all of this information, we'd love our clients to have quick access to the endorsements and the invoices, as well as analytical information. So they're, they, they feel the same pain. And I think that's one of the unique offerings that InsureWave has. It eliminates the pain from multiple parties, which if you mirror that solution, the problem today of administration exists in four or five places, which which makes it extremely painful. But I think um, you know we, we've got a huge amount of support from our brokers and from the markets because they see the benefit for them. But they really do it from the same principle that we do, which is they are, they are client-focused. We've talked about brokers quite a bit already, David. Let's just confirm in terms of you know, one of the pushbacks we hear in, in terms of all kind of insure tech coming into, into the commercial market is that fear of disintermediation, essentially removing the need for brokers. I think it's quite clear that's not what you're trying to do. You know, there isn't a replacement for the broker knowledge and expertise around the placement and the relationships that they have in the markets. Introwave isn't about that. But if you look at everything associated with assembling a submission, managing the endorsement, pushing all the admin through pre-term and in-term, really we should all be on board with that should be as, as automated as possible. Now, the fact that we've gone after complex lines means that you know we've probably gone to a place that most people will be slow to go to but it gives a great opportunity for our broker partners to to do all the things that they really want to do more of which is engage clients in growing you know their relationships probably bring more insurance risk into the marketplace which is good for the market and yes we're all on the same page let's get rid of all the painful stuff last couple of questions david to end this grilling you attended rims uh, this year in, in san francisco i think for the first time and you, you've had uh, conversations with many other uh, captive insurance people and insurance buyers over the past year or two as you've mentioned what did you hear from them at rims in particular and in the other conversations regarding the role your platforms or technology more broadly may have to play in, in pushing captives uh, forward there was a few few interesting conversations in rims and a couple of interesting 
um, topics as well. I think one of the uh, one of the interesting ones that kind of struck a chord with me was was the partnership that Lyft and Aon have created. Yep. And that that resonated with again how InsureWave operates, which is you had you had an end client that wanted to work a particular way, partnered with a broker that was going to be innovative and was going to support that direction, and it really the the, the theme was. You know, the market wants more collaboration. We need to move away from just firing a submission over a, over a hedge, and and in cases when there's you know big complex risk management, then then there is ways, and I believe Insurewave is, is 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 a great solution for this as well, for for everybody to have the right data to eliminate all the admin, and you know I definitely heard those themes across um, across a number of the topics while I was over there. In terms of the conversations that I had, I, I was kind of in listening mode on one side and on and in pitching mode on the other side. So very grateful for a number of the conversations you set up for me where I was meeting some of the captive owners, some of the captive managers. But in a lot of those conversations, it was me saying, look, this is what we're about. And that was fine. That's what those conversations should have been. And early indications was, of course, a lot of interest to the principles that I've talked about on the podcast uh, around let's move to the analytical and risk management conversation rather than you know chasing the paper um, so early days from us and starting to grow some of those channel relationships on the captive manager side but we, we don't really discern from captives and insurance managers we just see them as uh, as, as the individuals that are buying insurance and of course Maersk have you know one of the one of the largest self-managed captives in the world so we've a lot of experience working there we absolutely see it as a rich vein that will grow over time but but no real difference that said we are engaging and listening to maybe other things we can add to the platform that could be more valuable to them I just want to finish then on, on self-managed captives in particular because we haven't talked about it in any detail but particularly here in Europe a lot of those large industrial captives uh, the kind of ones that are going to fall into kind of that kind of aviation marine energy uh, sectors you're looking to target first or are currently targeting are often self-managed here in europe do you think they are an easier way in or an easier fit for your platform is is that right do you think that's your first target or are you even overlapping with some of the services that an outsource captive manager provides we've dealt with the brokers are you a threat to captive managers i don't think so because i if i was to equate the broker and the insurance buyer to the captive manager and the captive i think it's it's the same story for us really or we we, we see it that way today where if we're we know from our experience dealing with captives they still have all of the overheads of having to be clear about what's out in the market what's in the captive they need to stay up to date with the assets. They need to maintain the information. They need to put their hands on information as quickly as anybody just managing a meal company insurance. So, so the problems are the same. They want one access to a data set, whether that's all, you know, all risk is on the captive or the risk is mixed. And it will be mixed because a lot of those will have reinsurance relationships. In fact, pretty much all of them will. And whether it is an ORE on front of the insurance relationship or not, it's still about maintaining a consistent view of the assets the covers, the pricing, and what's going in or out of the the captive, whether that's self-managed or whether that's in a captive manager. I think the the comp the complement that we would have to a captive manager is the same complement that we would have to a broker in that we bring a lot more technology capability on the digital data exchange and management, which I still believe that we probably would be you know pretty advanced compared to some of the captive managers on that. But their expertise around the actuarial services and the accounting and the advisory, I'm sure they would say that that is 
their sweet spot mm-hmm. and they would be just like the brokers on the same pages in on us and say we would all love that consistent data set that data set that we know when we touch is right at that moment in time we're not chasing clients for stuff that they don't like being chased for and ultimately we can just get on with doing that expert side of our job so we've i've spoken with enough of them to believe that that's the case we definitely want to dig a little bit more into it and 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 get get a few working relationships on that basis but uh, we, we see we see them as a similar persona as the insurance buyer yes because similarly to the brokers with the with the placing of the insurance which you, you you're not keen to get into captain managers deal day-to-day relationships with regulators they do obviously deal with the accounting that's not an area you're you're, you're looking correct to but they put their but them putting their hand on information that they're comfortable with that is accurate and timely, as well as the latest documents and the fronting and making sure that the assets are connected into, into the right policies. That's our bread and butter. And hopefully that they can see that as a, as a benefit to how they work today. Well, great. Thank you, David. I think, uh, I think it's been really good for our listeners to get to know a bit more about InsureWave uh, on the Global Captive Podcast. So thank you for coming on. And I'm already looking forward to welcoming you back because I'm delighted to report that InsureWave is now a friend of the podcast as well. I think accurate to say our first technology-focused friend of the pod. So loads more to come uh, working together. And thank you to Braden York of Aurora Cannabis for some excellent insight into the risks and insurance challenges faced by that very growing sector. So David, thank you. Thanks, Richard. In the meantime, stay safe, stay well, and see you next time, captives. <music> <laughs>